Attention, please. Eastern Airlines Flight 19, now ready for departure. Welcome aboard the Walt Disney World Express Monorail. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we're entering the vacation kingdom of the world. There's enough land here to hold all of the ideas and plans we could possibly imagine. We call it Epcot. Will be our experimental prototype city of tomorrow. Welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast. Taking you back to the vacation kingdom of the world, the way it was, and the way it is in your memories. All right, welcome back, everyone. This is our holiday edition of the Retro Disney World podcast. Uh, This one is titled Amongst the Plexiglass Trees. We're going to take you back to the contemporary resort from uh, uh, some of its conception all the way through uh, its design and uh, construction and all the uh, wonderful plexiglass and shag carpet interiors. So... But uh, before we kick that off, let's uh, welcome everybody back. How, JT, Brian, welcome back. Our holiday edition here. Hear jingle bells in the background. Hello, all. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like How we doing? Good. There we go. Has got the whole tiki thing going. So, but uh, yeah, welcome back this month. I'm looking forward to this this episode. But uh, we've got some corrections and comments and uh, things to go over from the last month's episode. Uh, how you? Did some follow-up on the crying alligator, I believe. Yes. While we were recording the podcast, I was just racking my brain trying to figure out the the crying alligator thing. And then literally, I think about 30 minutes later, it dawned on me what the gag was. So um, I've actually seen the Mark Davis drawings for this. I cannot remember where I saw them, but the idea is supposed to be that the elephant squirts water into the alligator's mouth and then it shoots out of his ears. So if you saw crying, it's just because the pump that was shooting the water out wasn't functioning correctly. <laughs> so, diverted to the eyeballs. <laughs> yeah. I guess there's two little slits right behind the eye, I guess, where an alligator's ear would be. So ah, so it's more wow. more correct than we ever thought. So yeah. does the baby not shoot the water anymore? Is that like where the joke got? No, I, I, well, I think what you what we saw was the baby was shooting the the water in the alligator yep. was closing his mouth. And then instead of it like squirting out a good like two, three feet from either side, it was just kind of trickling out of the sides. Uh, OK, OK. So it's still so, there. OK, well, I got to look for that next time. So. All right. Good. Good follow up there. So let's see. We've also got. Um, so uh, we kind of want to thank everybody for, for listening. So far, the feedback has really, really been positive. Um, we've got one of our first iTunes reviews. We've got five stars on there. So uh, I'd love the, you know, if anybody can, uh, anybody out there listening wants to give us an iTunes review, I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, that'll be great to have. So, all right. Anything else from last month, guys, you want to go over? Not that I know of right now. All right. We'll move on. So, all right. So, Amongst the plexiglass trees. Now, this brings us uh, to the Contemporary Resort. Now, to kick this off, I have a favorite area, the Contemporary, and um, I know how you love uh, you love uh, the Polynesian, but the Contemporary for me has has one specific area that I really like. But I want to ask all of you guys, what what area do you like? What what is what part of that resort just kind of exudes that you know classic retro Contemporary feel for you? I'm um, gonna go. I'm gonna go, go first. Go ahead. Hal. Go ahead. Hal. I'll take it first. Fiesta Fun Center. Fiesta Fun Center. Hundred <laughs> percent. Fiesta Fun Center. That's it for you, huh? That's it. 
All right, we'll get to why why there was any Mexican theme to this a little later, but uh, <laughs> Southwest. Yeah. JT. Um, I mean, if we're talking retro and old, I, the biggest thing for me, just the the lobby itself. Once you finally got upstairs, you finally walked in. Just that area, the monorails, the restaurants, all that. That's my big thing. I'd say. So the Grand Canyon Concourse. You yep. got it. All right. All right. Brian. Yeah, that I would say the Grand Canyon Concourse and the Mary Blair mural. Yeah, uh, right off the bat, and I added in our notes the least favorite, and for me the least favorite is the back end of the resort now, the recreation area, uh, which we'll talk about later in the show. The, the the film that shows how it was at one time versus the hardscaped concrete uh, landscape that it is today. Okay. My, mine has to be the, the, the Outer Rim Lounge. I, I, for some reason, have always gravitated to those little windows peering out on the Seven Seas Lagoon. And just, you know, you, you also, too, when the contemporary, when the monorail pulls in, you look out the other side of the monorail, you see out. But something about the lounge, just looking out over the, over the water and, and uh, really, you know, people also say, you know, say, oh, the top of the world lounge. But no, 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 it's got to be, got to be Outer Rim for me. So that's, uh, that's what I like. All right. So, well, let's talk about a little bit about the conception. Now, how in one of the earlier episodes we went through and talked about a lot of the, um, uh, you know, pre-opening maps and designs and everything. The contemporary really didn't change much from every map and everything I look at. It's as it was as we see it today, right? Yeah. The only thing that I noticed today that was different from what got built is uh, the old pre-opening postcard shows this kind of hexagonal restaurant looking thing um, sitting over the back end of uh, of Bay Lake, uh, which which ended up being where all the um, where the swing pools and things are. But other than that, it looks like it was pretty much nailed down right from the beginning. Right. And it always been white, stark white in some of the drawings and it really hasn't hasn't changed at all. Um, I read a really interesting article in a New York Times magazine. And actually, I have it here. It's uh it's dated October 22nd, 1972, and right on the cover is, is Mickey looking out from a monorail, um, looking as he's going into the Contemporary Resort. And uh, what's, it, what's really interesting about this, uh, this article is that it goes into some of the architecture and dives also into um, how well... Uh, that the whole area of Walt Disney World is designed and all the new things that they're doing. But what's really interesting is that they, they, they took to the contemporary really strong in this article and really went into a lot of detail. Um, and they pointed out and, and were very uh, blunt about the fact that, um, you know, WED didn't have any hotel expertise back then. They really didn't have any idea what they were doing when it came to that. Um, and uh, they had uh, Welton Beckett and Associates design uh, and the U.S. Steel firm was involved as well, so they got them involved to then, and also I believe they, another company ran the the contemporary for them. Um, now, the other interesting part is that the reason that U.S. Steel came into play is that they had been toying with lighter weight construction and uh, researching plastic, concrete, and steel, and trying to figure out what would be the you know lightest and, and least expensive way to uh, to to build out a, a hotel building, and you know they had these ideas that this this concept could be left out to you know create schools and, and hospitals and all sorts of other other buildings that could be that would need some sort of repetitive pattern. 
So um, what actually wound up happening is that uh, U.S. Steel, after completing the project, leased this to Walt Disney World. Um, the or actually it was the Walt Disney Hotel Corp, right? Uh, how many? I don't know how many corporations did they <laughs> did they form? Uh, who actually did the operation? So, which was really really interesting. Now, we've got to get over to uh, JT here. We've got to talk about what, what's your famous line that you've somehow managed to put into every episode. So like a chest of drawers <laughs> there with we drawers are. sliding in. <laughs> yes. Now, I have to admit, when we first talked about that, I was laughing. I didn't realize that they actually did use that. And we'll, we'll get to the exact line of chest of drawers. But... No, they really did. It was yeah. like the promo. And they, you yeah. know, the, guy, the guy had the voice and everything. He sounded like he could have narrated any attraction at Disney. And he just, they showed it. And he, you know, yep. it was awesome. <laughs> yep. And they had some great, great quotes on that, which we'll get to it. Yeah. So the chest of drawers, uh, for those of you who are not familiar, the the, the contemporary as well as the Polynesian um, were were built first as a steel frame, um, a lattice work of steel, and then the individual room units were built off site and then slid in like a chest of drawers. And the idea was, as I said earlier, that U.S. Steel was utilizing all these different new lightweight construction materials. And in order to demonstrate the ability to design and create a building that was modular um, and demonstrate this technology, that that's how they got uh, uh, working with Disney. So the idea here was create something with the furnishings, the utilities, and the other great quote from the film is that the first person to walk into the room could be the maid. <laughs> I shouldn't say from the film. I'm sorry. That was from the article. Um, and, and again, they use the same thing for, for the Polynesian. Now, from a technical standpoint, there's a couple interesting things here. Um, apparently, the rooms weighed less than six tons. And you think, six tons, that's a lot of concrete and steel at that weight. But apparently, when you create a regular hotel room, you would be upwards of 30 tons. So... I can only assume that they were thinking that the cost savings would come in from that reduction of, of steel and, and concrete. Um, and the other tidbit here is that the ability to have the construction site, which we'll get to in a second, was near on, and on site. And they were able to build the rooms to a 14 and a half, 15 foot width, which was good because they could then transport them since it was clo so close by the maximum width for a traffic vehicle at the time was 12 feet so by building them close by they could get to the 15 foot maximum and and drive them right over so it's kind of interesting that right there that tells me that this is not going to be successful <laughs> if you're thinking about <laughs> expanding this this idea out because uh, correct me if I'm wrong guys I believe they wanted this facility to to start to make other you know, other hotel rooms for other projects once they were done. Well, I'm sure they would have used that same concept for the Asian and the Persian and the rest of the hotels too. Right. And the other benefit that they were seeing there was the time savings because they could work on the superstructure of the hotel at the same time they were building out the room. So right. when you have two, two week, two, um, two years to put everything together, it's like you can get the rooms built while you're building the hotel, slide it into place and bam, you're open. Yep. Yep. And and for for everybody that is listening, we do. It, it, there was two resorts, right? Contemporary Polynesian that opened, and then mm -hmm. Fort Wilderness. But so if you look at the only two that actually had rooms, were built with this method. So like every hotel at Disney at one point was built with this method. Right. Yeah. Now the the facility that built these rooms um, was apparently it's just north of where um, 
Port Orleans Resort area was, um, which is interesting. I need to go back to some of the satellite views that we've uncovered from um, the late 60s, early 70s, and, and try to figure out when that, that building uh, disappeared and, and what happened to it. Um, so so let's, let, let's look at the points here. We're, we've reduced our weight. Um, we're building something that, which is good, reducing the weight, we're reducing the cost. As Hal said, you can get this done quickly. You've got a, a two years to build it. You've got simultaneous construction going on. Um, but now we've built something that we can't transport on the roads, right? Because so, we're over the limit. So think about that point as, as we move on. Um, U.S. Steel did a couple different documentaries, uh, a couple different films. They put a long one together, which... For some reason, I can't find. Um, that's the one we referenced in a previous episode where we said if you can't go to sleep at night, just put that on. Um, but there is a great TV commercial uh, that was put together uh, featuring the contemporary. And what's great about it is that it was filmed um, before the resort was complete. You, if you look carefully and freeze frame it, you can see some early construction and, and everything. And it features this family arriving on the on the monorail and being, you know, escorted up to their room and, and joyfully busting into the room and seeing everything. And then they're waving from the balcony as as the the, the announcer comes over. Um, and then between though, there's these wonderful clips of the actual factory doing work, and it goes through the order that they built it. They they put the steel frame down, they pour the concrete floor, add the wall piles, uh, I'm sorry, wall panels, which incidentally were another U.S. steel company, um, so they got their sister company in. They put the AC in, then the wall coverings, the complete bath, sliding doors, and then they trucked it over. And what happened, JT? Uh, they slid it in like a chest of drawers. drawers. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> now, bear in mind, I do see on this commercial maps on the wall. Just a little teaser there. Absolutely. We're going to be talking about those a little bit later. There is that uh, awesome Paul Hartley map in there. And then now would be a good time to mention that you would have had a great view of them sliding those in from Roy's cabin. Yes. That's true. Yes. <laughs> Roy's cabin. He would, especially those on the east side, he could... You could see all those drawers just sliding right into the chest. So you, now, didn't I think, wonder, you didn't think I'd get it in there? In the no, I, I didn't. Did you? I, I, I'm confident now, Brian. I really <laughs> am. You're, you're going to squeeze Roy's cabin into every episode. The real question is, did these maps that were hanging on the wall, were they in there at the factory, and did they take the car ride in, and they did they get slid in with the building? Like, did they put pictures on the wall at the U.S. Steel factory? Well, you know, according to this article that I read and everything else, says all they had to do was be plugged in. Wow. Okay. Now plug it in. There's carpet on the the probably I was gonna say carpet on the wall, but it was seventy one, so there probably could have been carpet on the wall. Um, but uh, yeah, and, and U.S. Steel was really confident, and so was Disney that hospitals, as I said, hospitals and schools would be built this way. Um, and uh, you know, there's cement division, and everybody had something to do with it, and the wall panel. So who knows? Maybe there's the art division of U.S. Steel with it. You know, yeah. Put the, <laughs> put the maps up. All right, so fact number two, um, you're going to start to draw conclusions as you're listening here. The the cost of the rooms was initially estimated at 17000 by U.S. Steel. And um, unfortunately, that wound up costing over $100,000 per room. So nearly uh, over five times as expensive as they expected. And the the failure there is not so much that they, the price went up the problem is is that the cost of the rest of the building didn't go down so when you think about that is that if you can build it traditional 
and save money, there's really no point. Um, and what Disney realized and U.S. Steel realized afterwards is that the real arena for this was specialty areas, uh, such as bathrooms. So <laughs> after the hotels were completed and they realized that the Asian and the Persian and everything else with the Venetian wasn't going to happen, um, they actually produced a, a number of bathroom units for Sheraton. And, uh, you know, that's the, and the I, I don't know how long that went for, but by 72 in this article to the New York Times Magazine, you know, this is a year after opening, they're already, they're talking about that the bathrooms are already being made or completed. So that probably became shuttered pretty quick it's an interesting just just to note you know i mean the original plans for epcot for the florida project uh, this is obviously captures that a great deal walt's whole idea was to test new methods of manufacturing uh innovative design uh in in partnership with american industry and this was probably one of the best examples of the original project um and how it was incorporated into what they ultimately built there Yep. But yet, you know, at a, at a, what was that? A hundred thousand dollars a hotel room? <laughs> yeah. A hundred thousand dollars. The total cost of the resort was over a hundred million by the end. Yeah. That is ridiculous. Yeah. And, like, and, what advantage did they get out of it other than a really cool commercial from the seventies? Uh, they, I mean, you know, they built bathrooms. <laughs> uh, the sweet bathroom division. Well, you know what? The only thing I can think of is that the the reason that they could do that, that why the bathrooms made sense, uh, they call them specialty areas, is because you know, there's a lot of labor effort. If you think about the labor that it takes to pour a concrete floor and put a wall up, there's not much. But think about installing things like that and getting behind walls and routing things. That makes sense where you can put the copper in and, you know, well, you know, now we're, nowadays we're using PEX and all that stuff. But you could do all that type of plumbing way ahead of time and then literally plug those in. But, you know, it just did not make sense, uh, you know, overall. Uh our inflation calculator, $100,000 yes. in 1971, $586,000 oh. oh. per room. Per room. Can you imagine the Disney Vacation Club well, rates for that? I, I, I got another one for you. In the New York Times Magazine, it does state, and it, it kind of it says why they're charging upwards of $44 a night for the room. So what what does that show us? What's forty four back in nineteen seventy one now? That's got to be two hundred and fifty seven dollars a night. Two fifty seven. So basically, we've gone higher than inflation. Oh, by a lot. By a that, lot. That that's a point that's raised a lot of times these days. Yeah, but 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 think about that. I mean, that they had to recoup the cost there. I swear the U.S. Steel went from these rooms to the bathroom division, and then it went to the shower curtain ring division run by Del Griffith. <laughs> right. like, I, that's where it had to go. They're filled with helium. Tiny They're very rings. light. They're very, very light. light rings, yes. They're filled with helium. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, now, JT, I got a question for you. We talk about the chest of drawers. We slide those drawers in. Now, when you get your socks in the morning, you open your drawer back up, right? Yes. Now, what about this, these? You think they were supposed to come back out? I think everybody thinks they were yeah. supposed to. Like, we're going to go like, okay, we're going with the 81 refresh, say. Ten years later, we slide it out, and we just right. throw in the new drawer, and it's those sweet 80s colors, you now, know, instead of the... Forget the fact that if you look at the construction that there's welders, you know, welding steel beams around these. Forget the fact that it's then encased in concrete around the, the, the steel beams that have been welded. Let's just say you could pull them out. Do, you, do we really think that 
renting a crane, setting all that up, the safety of pulling out, um, you know, something that weighs six tons, all that deconstruction to then put it on a truck, cart it over to a facility where, you know, all these ant, little ants are going to go marching in, take, you know, fix it, and then you're going to cart it back, pull it back up. It makes no sense that, you know. How the, many rooms are at the contemporary? Uh, good question. I don't, in like the main. Over, over a thousand. Yeah. So I just picture doing that like over a thousand times, the train out there, and then exactly. like, oh, my castle view is ruined because they're putting in an extra room. I just that what a horrible idea. Yeah, it it doesn't work. So anybody out there thinking that these these were supposed to come back out? No, they're, they're not. It was just it was just because there's a lot of people say like, oh, the building settled and they they sunk into the concrete. So when Disney did try to pull them out, but I don't know if there's any truth to that or not. Like the concrete crumbled and then the build the drawers wouldn't slide out like if your dresser you know collapsed they're just shaking the thing trying to get them right there are uh, 383 rooms in the tower 383 okay Okay. multiply that times a hundred thousand go yeah (laughs) if you can't see the electric light parade because you got like this giant crane in your way or or, you know you wake up one morning and there's another room looking into your room as it's coming down the other myth along with the removal was that the reason they welded them into place afterwards was the the growth of mold between the uh, you know the, the gaps where they sl- allegedly sled these things in and out and again just like Walt's frozen head it's it's an old wives tale it's <laughs> yeah. not true we don't know so what... there's no mold at the contemporary no but Walt's head is there <laughs> okay somewhere in the country. facing Roy's cabin right <laughs> in the freezer in Roy's cabin <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect. Now, we have a question mark on this next point, which was that U.S. Steel was going to run the hotel, as I as I talked about earlier, because they had no clue. But we have some notes here that they screwed up, deadlines weren't being met, and, and, and do we know if that's when Disney actually decided to pick up the, the task and, and run run the show? How? That is my impression. It's like, okay. yeah, what's, once the price estimates came in and once they once the person who is in charge of the contracting for that hotel said, Oh no, it's not going to be done by October 71. It's going to be more like 72. Then they were out. Uh, U.S. Steel's interests in the hotel were bought out and Disney started the Buena Vista construction company. Um, and that was the end of it. So that's when they decided, all right, we're, we're running this thing. We're done, which probably some people might argue caused the ultimate downfall of, 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 the Disney empire and what we're seeing today. Yeah. Really taking over that, that portion of it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause if, if we, if they had continued to not run the hotels, you would not have that situation with, that we have now where, you know, the hotel bookings and the DVC are the thing that where all the money is and the parks are just there to like fill up hotel rooms and sell DVCs. I don't know. I just can't imagine, you know, what 14, 15 swan and dolphins though, as long as the architecture was cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The big black hole in the top of it. Oh, don't start that rumor. Don't don't even start that rumor <laughs> with me. Don't start. All right. Um, now the, the the design. You know, it's funny. I, I read a couple. Like I said, I read a couple of the articles. The New York Times one. There's a couple of the other early um, pre-opening stuff, and they all harped on the following topics. It's longer than a football field. It has a 10-story atrium, soaring heights, open concourse, uh, monorails gliding swiftly and silently through, and um, you know that whole the grand canyon concourse i don't know i, I it, you know jt i think it was you who said you brian that that's that's you're just you know that's your epitome of, of of contemporary here um 
and I, I you know this is kind of I want to talk about the design um, and and the decor of the area here. I'm kind of getting my head ahead of myself, but um, when when the contemporary first opened, there was the motif, and then the style at the time was it was a quite a bit of orange. There was a lot of Southwest design to it. And uh, obviously you had the Mary Blair mural with the uh, hidden five-legged goat, as most people know. And um, the, the the plexiglass trees that we're referencing right in the title of our of our uh, podcast here uh, were literally these these trees made of um, different shapes of plexiglass that are, were um, inserted amongst each other at different angles and, and went down the, the length of the, the, the concourse. And they had these uh, lamp shades that would come off and almost look like, I don't know how to describe them, the, the steel was a fountain that came up and around with these great balls of glass surrounding the, the lamps. Um, but um, I'm going to ask a question here. This sounds silly. And I, you know, I've been to the contemporary many, many times and, and, you know, fortunately it stayed pretty truthful right to its original design other than some of the different the decor is obviously not as garish as it was back then am i the only one who gets confused? oh i think you mean awesome awesome i'm sorry yeah <laughs> <laughs> you are correct. I, I i do admit it was awesome yes it, it, it is um but am, am i am i the only one that always gets confused which side of the concourse i'm on and which way i'm facing that's always perplexed me i don't know why oh monorail is kind of on one side and then the i don't know it doesn't matter i'm always screwed up with it i've just always entered from a boat from fort wilderness you walk in you go through all that conference area and then you go up the escalator then boom right in there that's kind of to me the you could just go wherever your pal mickey tells you to go yeah pal (laughs) Mickey. listen to your doll and and... (laughs) you go that way speaking of escalators actually though yes all right, this always bothered me. The monorail your, your exit, tiny me. escalator problem. Yeah, yeah, well, come on. What what is up now? You go that long distance in the switchback, and I kind of get that because if you got a full monorail coming back from the Magic right. Kingdom, I mean, okay, that thing's packed. The, you know, maybe maybe it's also for um for, for evacuation purposes too, just in case. But yeah, you you go through that long corridor, then you make the left, you turn, you do the 180, you come right back, and then you get to this escalator. That is so narrow. I never understood the design of that, that, you know, we couldn't have two coming down. I mean, you think about the throngs of people coming out at the end of a day. And then, you know, still to this day, and the monorail, you know, the escalator dumps you into this tiny little area, the bathrooms and water fountains. It just, that area just never seemed to make sense. Well, There's a lot of like bottlenecks and weird. I, I yeah. think. Yeah. I think. I think Hal will probably educate you on the. Well, I was just going to say people were a bit smaller in the '70s than they were well, today. So I think crowd, that. And the crowds were smaller, and mostly it was hotel guests utilizing the, the the facilities in the hotel. Now, why do you have to walk 35 feet down and 35 feet back? <laughs> well, I think. Part of it is is the the fact that there's always been commerce, restaurants, and right. stores on the first level, and you can't very well have escalators, you know, dumping you out into the middle of of the shops and everything else the way the way that they have it set up sure. right now. Yeah. So two, I think I have two points that I don't know if this is definitive, but might sort of help set, maybe get some things moving in the right direction. Yeah, just so calm the, me down. I mean, you know, yeah. I'm a disturbed. So the first one is uh, now think about the ticket and transportation center. Think about everywhere that you got, you get in and off of a monorail. How many sides uh, are used for ingress and egress of monorails? Two. On the way that that platform is set up, you're only allowed to get in and out of one side. So in order to handle crowd flow out and then people waiting to get on, it's like you need about double the length in order to Mm -hmm. deal with that. And 
having just, I don't know if this was set up the way before, but having just gone to Destination D, I was really surprised that it wasn't set up where there was a holding area for people to wait to get on where, you know, where you basically the gates open up and you walk directly into one of the things. Mm -hmm. There's basically a hole at one end of, there's a hole at one end of the pen. And when the monorail shows up, it's like everybody comes out of that one hole and tries to find a space while people are coming out of the monorail Yep. Uh, and trying to exit. So it's it's a really stupid little nasty setup. Yeah, I mean the Polynesian's similar but not nearly as bad because you've got everybody funneling, you know, yeah. a little a little differently, but it's always irked me, I don't know. And then the other part of that is so so back when you had to buy a ticket or have a hotel room to ride the monorail, um right now where that escalator goes up and down, mm-hmm. there used to be a glass booth in the middle of that thing where they would either sell you a monorail ticket or um, passes to the park. Um, That's all since been covered up, but there actually used to be somebody stationed there to like, make sure that you either had a ticket or would sell you a ticket in order to get on that monorail and go around. And that was down at the base of the monorail. You said, yeah, Yeah, I'm sorry at the base of the escalator. Yeah. Based on the, yeah. Base of the escalators where they go up and down. Okay. I think there's a penny crusher right about there, right? Yeah. 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 That's interesting. Okay. I always like, though, too, the inside, it is a, the most different feeling getting on that monorail because it's kind of quiet, obviously, because you're inside, but it just has a different feel. Like, you know, the Polynesian you get off it, the Contemporary has its own unique feel, completely indoors, like kind of, I don't it still to me feels retro to this day, even if yeah. it does have new carpet and everything else. And yeah. since we're there and it's a holiday episode, I'll throw in our little uh, our little widget here. Uh, last year I attended, uh, D 23 had a holiday event, uh, down in Orlando and the pastry chef for, uh, the contemporary was one of the presenters and talked about the large gingerbread houses that they now have on display in all the resorts. One of the things they did not account for is the vibrations that the monorail coming through causes. So the first year that they did the gingerbread house in the contemporary, uh, pieces of it started falling off the first day. That's awesome. And so it was a it was a, like a month long engineering lesson for them to how much you know basically they had to design it the way they designed skyscrapers now to be able to handle the winds. They now have to design the uh, the gingerbread houses to be able to handle the vibrations of the monorail. And the funny thing was is when Hal and I were there for Destination D weekend two of the roof shingles had fallen off of the this year's uh, gingerbread house. They so we, slide it in like a chest of drawers like to every year. Drawers, they just... I, I can see springs under there soon, you know, designing them like the, you know, they, they need to put it on a platform, like a shake table that can absorb the shocks. Like they did build those buildings out in California now, right? I think they just need to use stronger glue. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, Brian, I know you have you have a part of the contemporary that's kind of near and dear to your heart too, because it's, <laughs> I, I, and you know, I kind of call them the stepchild of the contemporary. I always would go across the monorail, I look down, and I see the, the north and the south wings, and just go, what are they? They just never seem to fit in, you know, in my own opinion as a child. But um, you've you've got some memories of that area too. Uh, my first time staying at the contemporary was about five years ago. And I stayed in one of the garden wings, the one that's still standing, which I think is the north 
Garden Wing. I don't remember if it's north or south. I lose my my bearings when I'm there. See, nobody can remember the directions inside the contemporary. Yeah, right. see, I'm yeah. I'm not the only one. Okay, it's the one by the lagoon, the the path. It's the one. It's the, the one. Yeah, it's the one where the boats sail by on their way over the road. Yeah, you know, that just um, shows how symmetrical that building is that you can't yeah. remember. So so anyway, uh, we stayed there. We were in in the in the back end of that. Uh, and I hated it. I abs- I, 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 I came out of there saying, I don't know why anybody wants to stay here. It's terrible. And I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I have this dislike of that hardscape area where they have the pools and the really nothing else anymore. The dock. When we talk a little later uh, about the film, the contemporary film that, that accompanies this episode on our website, um, the, the, the film of the pool area and the trees, and it's just beautiful. I mean, it's a beautiful layout, a nice big beach where people could actually use the water uh, in Bay Lake. Uh, and what has replaced it now, I just, I, I don't like it at all. It's my least favorite area of the resort. But staying in there, I mean, it's basically like you're in a two-level two motel off, you know, with this glorious resort in the office. Even, like, the, the elevator was, like, run down and the, you know, everything about it just you come from the majesty of this 10 story, um, you know, grand Canyon concourse tower. That's iconic. and has a monorail going through it. And all of a sudden you're over here waiting for Tom Baudet to let you in your room at the motel (laughs) six next to the contemporary. Well, Uh, that's what they were. What's really interesting is they were trying to avoid that type of problem that they had at Disneyland as we discussed in, in other episodes that they didn't want that type of thing popping up. And yet, here they are creating it for I, I believe as we said what well, there was only three hundred in the main tower so three eighty three three eighty three and there's six hundred and some in the whole resort so, so so half the rooms are in these wings right yet you yeah. never heard of those you know and all the the PR stuff that we we've gone through you never no. hear of those they wings. push the nice garden wing on the <laughs> right <laughs> and, 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 it's a garden view and and, and yeah. true and truthfully I mean we referred to it a little earlier but but uh, the the change in direction for the organization as a whole. Part of the mandate when Ron Miller was deposed and Michael Eisner was brought in was immediately build more hotels. They're revenue generators. They keep people on the property. And the, and the addition of the hotels led to the expansion of the parks and, uh, you know, the building of the studios and the building of the Animal Kingdom. And, and the, so, you know, obviously they went nuts in the 90s with, you know, adding the Swan and Dolphin and everything else that they added down there. Uh, but. The resorts themselves were always an attraction with the contemporary and the Polynesian, uh, and they really outdid themselves when they started adding, you know, the Grand Floridian and uh, you know, I, my favorite of of the new the new construction stuff. There's a lot of people love the Animal Kingdom Lodge and what they did there, but uh, all along uh, the river. Um, Sasajula River there, where where they built Old Key West and then the two Port Orleans resorts, with the existing the old tree houses that used to be there. Right. Uh, I I just I love taking that boat back and forth. They did a great job there, but yep. but that's a lot of what happened. You know the wing the garden wings are a good indication of you know they just stopped building hotels after that. Right. And right. and uh, you know were and the that... garden wings there on opening day? Those were there, right? Yes. The, 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 yeah, yeah. They were okay. part of the original construction. Because remember, that was a convention hotel, and that was that was Disney World's only convention hotel. So even when they were when they were ready to open that up, it's like they had conventions booked yeah. from ah, like right, from right. like January of seventy two straight through. Exactly. Yeah. And then now the other question I have, and this might be something nobody knows. 
are the rooms still as they were in the 70s? Because when I roll by on a boat, I literally look at them and think they've never refurbed them. That's how old they look from the outside. I really <laughs> The garden wings, you mean? <laughs> yes, I feel like they should be called the retro uh, wings because they, they look all dingy and old. They're, and just... they're, uh, they're exactly as the tower rooms are in ah. terms of decor. And, uh, and I stayed in them in the end of the last design. And okay. I've now stayed in the tower twice. And I love it. I mean, they, the Contemporary's done a complete 180 for me. And to me, the real attraction now is the proximity to the Magic Kingdom, the ability to walk from your hotel to the Magic Kingdom. Yeah, that's the big draw to that hotel. Well, it's you? the big draw now. 10 years ago, 20 years ago, I don't think it was that big of a problem because catching a boat or a monorail, parking in the lot wasn't the the absolute nightmarish experience it can be now uh, okay. so so the attraction of being you know that close to you know i mean now you can be at the t at the ticket and transportation center and might have to wait for two runs of the monorail before you actually get on one uh just because of crowds and you know, again it's the whole development of the residential community down there the floridian community that actually goes to the parks all the time uh which didn't exist 20 years ago Right. So it's just changed the nature of, of who goes to the park. And yeah. so the contemporary is a big, big plus for me because of proximity to the park. Real quick, what would you pay per night to stay in an original 70s themed redone room at the contemporary? Say so they had, you know, they got pirate rooms. They got what would you pay yeah, to stay there one night? It has to smoking have or non-smoking? Whatever you want. <laughs> I'm sure. It's like like it's it's mint condition. Just it's called the retro room and the retro wing or something. I I would I don't know. That's that's a tough thing to answer. Well, I mean the, the rooms already go about four hundred a night. Um, so I mean, one night, one night. What would you do to I, experience it again? Five bills. <laughs> yeah, and I got I you got to have one of the eggs, the egg chairs in there. You got to have the egg <laughs> oh, chair, the identical, Hartley, just everything. Yeah, just just, just like they slid it into the room right there. Yeah, that's what it like a chest like. of drawers. Like you got chest it. Of so the, the, now the other part that you mentioned, Brian, was was the recreation area, and and that was a just a massive amount of concrete, very little design to it. Uh, we had the concentric painted, you know, the circular pool. We had the square pool, um, you know, very very uh, contemporary, obviously for its time. Um, but over there we had the the boat rental, and and, and that was a place to catch the bob around boats too. I'll, one I'll of tell you what, one of the, one of the things that sticks out in the pictures of the day is that starburst dock that they have. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. There's that dock with all the spokes on it, uh, which it, I mean, obviously isn't there today, but it looks looks gorgeous. Was that for the yeah. water sprite rental, or was that just all, what 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 did they use that for? The water sprites are what are tied up next to it in the in the film that you have. So that that must have been okay. So you go out you go out to arm number three and get your water sprite twenty feet out. Interesting. That's fun. So, all right. Well, let's go let's go back inside um, uh, here. Now we had the Grand Can in the Grand Canyon concourse. We had uh, the Grand Canyon Terrace, which is where Chef Mickey and the uh, Contempo Cafe are now. Um, yeah, they had mariachi bands during dinner to continue with the Southwest feel. There's, there's a great picture. I, I, I gotta find it, of of a mariachi band welcoming a uh, a monorail in. So as the monorail is pulling in, there's a mariachi band sitting. And I don't. I, that's I get in the, the magic of Walt Disney World. That movie is is that what is it? Yeah, it's that's what it's from. I I just I don't know. It just never. I never. Drew the, the Southwest tomorrow has a mariachi band in it at all. Times. <laughs> right, yeah. It's a contemporary, it's a big adobe, you know. Well, who can exp okay, I would just like someone to explain to me how you have the most futuristic hotel possible mm -hmm. and then you overlay it with a Southwest America. 
Yeah, right. Well, it, the colors match the '70s, you know, coloring like that orange and brown stuff. So maybe but, they uh, did the colors first and then said, "Oh, what is?" But this I've n- I've never heard anyone say, you know, I, I I remember reading something about like, oh, well, we have this giant uh this giant elevator tower that we need to do something with. Hey, why don't we call Mary Blair and see if she can come up with something? So yeah. was her design the thing that ended up like? theming the interior of that or did someone have some other bright idea and then that became part of it it's just so bizarre to and, me because you yeah. would picture it looks like something in 2001 or something you go inside it's like you know just but not boom you're in the southwest in the grand canyon concourse right and then every restaurant it's like all the all the rest of the colors as todd mentioned it's like everything is then really themed to the nth degree around the southwest concept all the right. ballroom yeah. names the and fiesta fun center fiesta right fun. yeah everything yeah. everything there's, the Pueblo there's, there's another fantastic picture which takes us up to the top and i wish i could find it there is this this lounge singer standing in the the i believe it was the um elevator lobby at the top and he's standing there with the microphone he's got this stash and this you know big (laughs) space balls type oh yeah of course and he's got the the blue leisure suit on and behind him is this incredible hexagon shaped concentric circle of yellows and 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 oranges and and reds and browns it's a a and it kind of sums up that decor that we're talking about in like one one picture and the guy's ready like yeah you can just hear him say oh, well hey i'm glad to see you guys are all back this evening uh, we got a big yeah. show for you you know <laughs> thank you for coming. that was there until the early 90s yeah until oh, they boy. until they made uh the, the what do you call it um yeah that place the california california grill, california grill which i i've been to the, the california i haven't been to the rehash of it so um now are we going to talk about the top of the world or we, we are you know because i've got some interesting film of that um one of the the guest stars that we're going to have on uh, at some point david coolidge uh some of the film that we restored for him actually had uh footage of phyllis diller and lamb chops performing up there uh and ben vereen I, i've got footage of him playing the trumpet <laughs> let, me, let me jump in yeah it's sherry lewis and lamb chop it wasn't uh, oh, phyllis diller I'm eating sorry. lamb chops i'm sorry i'm sorry there's my correction <laughs> That would be a fascinating film. Yeah, sure. Hey, Phyllis Stiller's having dinner. What's she having, Lamb? <laughs> lamb chops. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. On top of the world. <laughs> On top of the world. I, I stink. You know, it's funny. That's the second time I've made that mistake because when I first tweeted it out, I said Phyllis Stiller, and they'd be like, no, it's Sherry Lewis, and I, I screwed it up. But anyway, um, and they also had what? They had a second room up there, the Gulf Coast room, which they, they – they, um, really push the flambe at the table. There's a couple pictures of people, you know, romantically engaged in a dinner and this guy's coming over there opening up the opening up the tray and all this, you know, wonderful stuff. Uh that was the the Gulf Coast room and then you had the the, the lounge downstairs. So, um and then the top of the world, they had they also had the big review show. And that ran all the way up until the 90s as well. Yeah, so so from what I was been reading in our research here, uh, they did the they did the uh, the live performers like Phyllis Diller and the whatnots uh, up until I can't remember. I think the '80s, and then they replaced that with Broadway at the top. Like, that's right. For whatever reason, so that's when you had the the bigger live show up there. My mom, we we went to see that. My grandparents were big on it, and my mom was just beside herself. They came over during Hello Dolly. 
and and asked her to sing. She was. You were up there. You you saw this show. I, I saw the t- the top. Wow. Of the, yeah, Broadway at the top show. Which you know, if you're into show tunes, you know, my grandparents that was their, they love you know Showboat and all those other different tunes and all that stuff. I picture so. this area like VIP though. It comes across me. Was it very like, or you could just anybody could book it? It's no, just... anybody could could book it. But you know, everybody. I remember as a kid, we 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 went up there, and the best part was is I, I forgot to pack a shirt and tie. So my dad had oh. to take me over to the village marketplace and get a shirt and tie so every you you know and that was part of my parents gripe and like we're going on vacation i don't want to park a suit and tie and all this did you have to dress up to get up there i i think it was highly recommended i I don't know if a tie was necessary but smoking jacket for sure it was suit coat required when it opened yeah is that what it was and then i think they got later on they got a little more lax but yeah i mean yeah it was it was a nice evening out essentially it was one of the the one of the few places you could go for that that level of entertainment and, and dining at the time too. And this is where it really is critical that this was a convention hotel. If you if you look at the setup mm-hmm. of yeah, there from like so... the from the early seventies like up until the eighties when the mix changed, it's like everything there is set up for the convention year. You know, conventions over at six o'clock. Yes, you have a nice supper club upstairs to like wine and dine and smoke and drink your bourbons. That and makes sense. you go on yeah. the balcony, watch the fireworks, close a deal, the whole thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then you just go downstairs and there's monorails gliding swiftly and silently. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff stuff to buy for your husband or yeah. wife right there in the shops. And, that's right. That's right. Uh, wow. But I, I did mention uh, my first visit, which was in January of 88. At that time, they were doing Chef Mickey's breakfast uh at, at the top of the world um and so that's my i was in there i mean i ate there as a california grill when it opened but uh but we had you know the buffet breakfast that's now down on the fourth on the grand canyon concourse level uh back then we were in the top of the world so which was a very cool place it was one of the first breakfast buffets i ever had you know as a kid and because uh, i'd never seen all these various choices i mean breakfast in my house was whatever was being served and that's what you ate um, and were then you in line? Be... Were you in line next to the guy with the mustache? Just he was like hungover, <laughs> just like, give me these eggs, kids. I I don't remember. I do remember my parents making us dress up for everything when we were still there. You know, that was 1988. We had long pants, and I had to wear to Empress Lily and this and that. Oh, I hated it. You know, just let me give them my shorts and sneakers. It just shows you, like, that. Well, you talked about this last week, how big of a deal this vacation was back then, and now it's so oh, yeah. just everybody just go like you can so go passe. to. You can go to the top of the world, and I mean, I've been up there in shorts and a t-shirt just to right. get a drink, and then go sneak out and watch the fireworks. You know, you don't right. need to be up there in a suit and tie. So, yep. And there were other rooms up there too. I think they're still there. There's other meeting rooms and stuff. But yeah. Okay, so the next next section we're going to talk about here is the Paul Hartley map that uh, hung on the rooms. Uh, not only the Polynesian, but also the contemporary. And um, we have a, a special guest today. It's uh, Chad Lincecum. And Chad is from WDW, I'm sorry, WDWmap.com. And uh, he has faithfully uh, digitally restored the map that is hung on the wall and has them available uh, on his site uh, as, as canvassed prints. Uh, Chad, w- welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So give us a little background on... Uh, you know, how you got into this, how you, you know, what your affection is for this map. I mean, it's one of the ones that, you know, we know that there's old ones out there. The originals were on Masonite. Um, and uh, how'd you get into this? And, and you know, where does your uh, attraction to them come from? Well, I, I my parents took me to uh, Disney in uh, 1973. Um, and we used to go every, every Christmas time um, after that. And I, I just remember we always stayed at the Contemporary most of the time. Sometimes we'd be at the Polynesian. And I just remember... 
just staring at the map and just being infatuated with it. And it just, I just loved it. Um, and ever since they were removed in the early eighties, um, I just, I always wanted one and I, I wasn't one of the ones lucky enough to, to get a copy. So I, I did what I could when I uh, got access to it, and um, I recreated it. And I've I've got one of them sitting here, and I mean, it, for those of you who haven't seen it, again, go to www.map.com and take a look. But you you've got it completely restored, you know, um, digitally remastered, so to speak, to, to the original. And you know what what kills me is that this thing sat on the wall, as you said, to the '80s, and was still promoting. The, the Persian and the Venetian the in the Venetian and the Asian hotels and probably by that time by the time they came down the you know the, the Grand Floridian was way be in the development wasn't ground wasn't broken yet um, but uh, I mean these th- these things are, are really great what what areas of the map you know do you look at and, and are the ones that you remember the most from taking a look at I always remember the uh, the, the um, well it's the Western River uh, expedition. Oh yeah, that's what it was at the time when it was when it was drawn. Right. Uh, that that became the you know a Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. Um, so that that was always always interesting because when we when I was staring at it, it was nothing was there yet. It was just you know open space before that was ever built. So I, I always remember looking at that, and then I always remember the Ticket and Transportation Center for some reason. There's something uh, unique and, and and neat about that area of the map that I find pretty amazing. Yep. And then what's really interesting, how this goes back to our preview episode, it has the spur line, right, of the monorail going right up to the Persian and having apparently to turn around and come back. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that was the other thing that I noticed. I mean, because you've seen the, the the photos or the reproductions showing uh, how it was going to be going through Tomorrowland early on. Right. Uh, but this one doesn't have that. This one actually just goes to the Persian and stops. Yeah, and it's got the uh, the STOL port on there. It's got the golf resort with with blue roofs. The the Polynesians on there. Um, what what is also very attractive to this map is just the skewed sense of uh, of perspective on it. You have things that are very top down. Uh, view and then you have things that are, are isometric. Um, the contemporaries off a completely the wrong angle, but the, the the point is is well taken. I have to say, Chad, you've done a, a fabulous job in hanging on the wall too. Uh, I've got it up there. It it looks really, really, really good. So great. Um, like. Now, how how what do you remember about this map? You visited down there when you were you know, young. Do you remember it on the walls at all? Well, we never got to stay in the hotels because we always stayed with relatives. So ah. the, the first time I ever saw that map was at a Disneyana sale uh, sometime probably in the late 80s. And at that point, I think someone wanted $350 for it. And <sighs> we scratched our heads. It's like <laughs> my friends and I trying to figure out if we could put up enough money to get that. And and we didn't. And man, I, I sh- well, I was going to say, I sure wish that I would have gotten it then, but I can get one now. Right, right. Exactly. There you go. Yeah. And, and Chad, tell us a little bit about the sizes and the, and the types that you offer, because I, I, they, they're all stretched canvas or some of them paper. How does it work? Um, they're, they're all on canvas. Um, I offer them uh, either just a, in a roll, just a, a, the canvas rolled up where you can have it stretched or framed yourself. Um, and I also now offer it um, actually stretched um, in a frame. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I do sizes all the way up to the original was approximately 60 by 48, I believe. Oh. Um, and I go all the way down to, I mean, 16 by 20. So I have all different sizes, depending on how big your space on your wall is. Uh, yeah. That's I've right. got the, the 24 by 20 is here and it's, it's a, it's a great size. It's not too big, not too large. Uh, I can't, I can't imagine the five footer though. That's what did you get for yeah. yourself? 
Um, I have the 36 by, oh, what is it, 36 by 24, I believe. Oh, okay, so you, you haven't scaled to your, yep, <laughs> to, the, to the largest. Yep. So, oh, that's excellent. And um, what's the most common size people buy? Um, actually, a lot of people buy the really large one. The, the, really? The largest, really? yeah. Being yeah. faithful to the to the original. That has anybody, yep. we were talking earlier on the podcast before you joined us about what would we do to... Uh, Pay, how much will we pay to get into a retro room? So imagine if you can find the chairs, oh, find the eggshell awesome. chairs, you find your map on the wall, we put your map on the wall, we, we could all be back in 71 enjoying a, a, a nice room there. So uh, Wouldn't that be wonderful? Yeah. I think I'm, awesome. I'm going to book a contemporary room next time I, I go, take just the map, put just it on the one. wall, yeah. Yeah, and then boom, there we and go. And then just see if the maids or anybody Just rent the place it. for a week, no yeah. maid service, and at the end of the weekend, <laughs> the whole room's refurbished back to the way it originally was in 1971. And then they'll <laughs> slide it out and re-update you, it. You have to fix the, I always remember the, um, the, the closets. They had these awesome built-in closets there that my, my sister and I would always run through and... <laughs> <laughs> I remember them so well. They had these the aw- this awesome in? lighting. They were just amazing. Now, Chad, did, did the original, the original, as we said earlier, was on Masonite. Didn't it have a silver frame on it? Was there a silver frame on the original? I believe so. Where, yes, I, I, if memory serves, yeah, I believe there. It was kind of like a floating Masonite with okay. a silver frame. Right. Right. So, well, if anybody wants to get their uh, their own copy of it, um, you can go to uh, www.map.com, and I believe it's uh, forward slash retro WDW, and, and uh, through that you get a 10% discount. Um, so that'll help uh, if you want to purchase the map. And um, Chad, we, we got to... I got to say here, we're going to have one of yours as one of our giveaways for our audio puzzler. So we've been telling our our viewers, our listeners, I'm sorry. Um, every month, everybody has a chance to to win a, a prize in our audio puzzler, and we've been talking about a big prize at the end of 2015. Um, and we've decided, and, and thanks to Chad, that uh, one of his um, reproduction maps is going to be the grand prize at the uh, de- in the December 2015 episode when we announce that. Anybody winning the audio puzzler and anybody who gets a correct answer in the audio puzzler uh, will be entered to to win to win the map. So, um, Chad, I appreciate you having uh, having you on here and and, and being able to uh, talk about this. Uh, you want to stay with us for the rest of the show here? Sure. All right. Sounds so, great. Sounds good. So, I think it's a perfect segue into into the puzzler. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about um, the puzzler from, from two months ago. Uh, the reason being is that uh, I, I do apologize. I forgot to uh, actually mention what the answer was. So it was kind of kind of my goof. Um, so in our, in our preview episode, the, the answer was Legacy uh, by Steve Woods. And that is uh, uh, played at the uh, uh, Epcot Entrance Plaza. So I never mentioned it. I, I apologize. And um, so... Last month, we had one that really didn't have a lot of music to it. It was pretty basic, straightforward, and, um, you know, we, we got a couple correct answers sent to us. And um, I have to say that uh, this month's winner, and I apologize if I'm pronouncing this name wrong, uh, it's Carolyn Pongraz, I believe. And uh, she guessed the answer, and the answer is actually the uh, World of Motion Caveman Foot Power scene, right as you would... Uh, world of motion would go up and take you around right up to the to the entry level uh, into the ride. The first scene was caveman. He was sitting there blowing on his feet, and um, uh, that that was the the audio puzzler. So uh, 
appreciate that. And uh, Carolyn, we'll we'll get uh, get your monthly prize out to you guys really quickly. And um, so this month we have another one, and uh, let's uh, let's play that here and and take a listen. So that's this month's puzzler. If you know the answer, please send it to podcast at retrodisneyworld.com. All winning entries will be entered into the monthly contest for a prize, and then all uh, correct answers will be entered into our yearly prize at the end. So um, this prize for this month, I to play in with the contemporary theme, I do have a Mickey head ornament made of, of additional concentric circles. So in the spirit of the concentric circles of the contemporary um, ah. pool, yeah, and, and as well nice, as the, nice. uh, yeah, as well as the uh, holiday season, we do have a nice concentric Mickey head ornament, which is the prize for this month. You'll receive it in January after the holidays. I apologize, but. Uh, <laughs> cool, uh, ready uh, for next year. To that's when right. you win your map. Yep. When you win the map. Then yep. you can have the map and the ornament in the same room. Exactly. You got it. Exactly. And if you are uh, sending in your entries, please get them in by January 11th, 2015. The uh, podcast will be produced and, and uh, available starting around January 19th. So you do have to have your entries in by then. Just so, remember, if you can't wait a year for that map, get yourself over to WDWmap.com. That's right. Absolutely. Buy the, buy the big one. Yeah, the, the big, big one. one. It's the most be popular. Like, be <laughs> like the cool guys. Yep, it's the yep. most popular. All right. So, uh, JT, viewer, viewer mail. What do uh, we, we got? We got a good one. Um, or listener you know, mail. I should really. Yeah. Um, TV we'll TV. call it viewer mail. Viewer mail. <laughs> sure, whatever. Th- this one goes back to a post I did, and it kind of connects to that. And you'd have to scroll through the retro Disney site. Um, I posted about a Disney globe, and David asks about uh, the globe. He brings it up. It was kind of a, a globe that looked like, I won't say similar to Chad's maps, but you know had that same retro feel. It was actually like a legitimate 3D globe, and he says he had one his aunt gave him, and then he says uh, they were giving them out when the park first opened, and he said he couldn't see our post, which um, I linked to a Craigslist sale in the area. The guy was asking like close to $300 for it, but... Um, how kind of came in with some info on that. So how you want to answer his question about the globes? Sure. So, so the globe that he's, he's talking about, um, it is, it is very much looks like sort of the, the maps that were, uh, that were put out back in the seventies. Uh, so it was a full circle, kind of like the a globe that you would see at school. And then the base looked like it was made out of wood, even though it was really plastic. And it actually had the Walt Disney world logo around the base of the thing. It was, it was very cool. Um, I owned one, uh, briefly, uh, before I gave it up. And, um, what I found out was that that was a promotional item that was given to travel agents. Um, so they could put it in the offices. And then when people came in to book vacations, they would see this Walt Disney world globe and hopefully spit it and get attracted to it and say like, Hey, I want to, I want to go on vacation there. Um, at the time, the travel agencies, um, used to get all kinds of things like posters and, um, I know from my tiki stuff that uh, people had sent made like tiki statues and like little menahunes and thing to put in travel agencies. So um, I don't know how many of them were made, um, but you do see a fair number of them show up um, and they usually sell for about the 200 to 300 dollar range these days. So it's a it's a really great collectible to have. 
Yeah, it was like a big. It looked like a heavy metal base, uh, you know. And it, it obviously Disney isn't in a circular shape, so stuff wasn't really relevantly placed to where it was. But I mean, I remember seeing like little water skier on it and the different hotels. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of neat. Just to, and I saw it. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. But three hundred dollars was a little steep just to, for a trinket to sit on my desk. You know? <laughs> there was one in Mickey's house at the magic kingdom when Mickey's birthday land was around. So people may, you may have listeners may have seen it as they were like walking through there. I've got same exact thing. Yep. Same exact one. I've got some old video of that. I'm going to have to check on that. Now, how how do we know who drew it? Was it Paul Hartley? Uh, I mean, it's very close in style. It was either him or Sam McKinnon. It's one of those. Yeah. It's that very, it's a real loose, nice cartoony style. Chad, you know, can that you, can, shag almost that people have been calling it nowadays, the, that style, or no? Is it something different? Uh, yeah, I'd say shag was definitely influenced by yeah. by that illustration, those illustrations. Now, Chad, are you, any plans to do the globe? <laughs> <laughs> Styrofoam balls are on sale at uh, your craft store. So uh, I'm waiting for Chad to say he's going to do the life-size Mary Blair mural from the, lot, from the <laughs> oh, Grand Canyon concourse. Already already working on that. <laughs> life size over here so all right uh, anything else on the on the uh on the the audio viewer mail whatever we're calling it jt no that was from david but you know if you do have a question for us you'd like to possibly get on the air uh any comments anything like that podcast at retro disneyworld.com is our email address and we'll get that and address it as a group Excellent. We, we we should mention too. Somebody had some ideas for for some holiday items. Oh yes, yes. Uh, we didn't have enough time to to prepare, um, but we are going to be planning a, a holiday episode. Um, you know, I, we're not too sure when we're going to do it, but uh, Brian's uh, got that task, and we'll be working on putting one of those. Uh, either be for the holidays next year or Christmas in July. It'll all depend on the tiki gods that's <laughs> exactly. we'll talk to how he can he can help command them so right. so all right excellent well let's uh we're going to move along here to uh the film restoration um the one that we've uh, uh picked this this uh this month is about the contemporary and um uh this section of the of the podcast is brought to brought to us by pixel um for a thoughtful once a lifetime gift contact pixel to create pristine digital transfers from your old home movies videos photos uh and slides uh and they also now feature the reflectera app and the reflectera app gives you the ability to store all of your photos and videos in chronological order uh to get started today visit pixel.com or call 1-800-557 3508 and also to receive an additional 10% off uh, off your off your order visit us at retrodisneyworld.com forward slash imageworks for the coupon and instructions so now I, th- this contemporary film is actually I should mention is actually three films and we've all watched it um, I uh, went ahead and, and you know put them all together because there was enough clips from one and enough clips from another I figured you know what let's let's just mesh them all together and it's you know, fair fair amount of uh, uh, you know time on this. I think it runs you know nine minutes or so. So, um, so w- what do you guys see in this? Um, you know, I, I think you've all looked at it. What what stands out and and what interests you? Uh, monorail heavy, definitely at the, <laughs> yeah, the beginning, it's, it's, which <laughs> which is cool because you see those crazy cool like flip outdoors, like you can just make out the difference between now and then. Yeah. Did you notice how white the monorail beams look? 
Yes. Why can't they hit those with a pressure washer now? Every <laughs> well, time I go, it makes. Well, they me did so an bad. Epcot for a little bit, but uh, that's garbage. Yeah. Whoever took this, uh, and I should I should mention it's three films, but it's, it's it was three different individuals who who took the film. Um, but uh, yeah, it is very monorail health. But I got to give credit to the guy. He went out, you know, to the 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 the, um, the little balcony and and shot out as the monorails were coming in, and he did. Yeah, he was really he was shooting stuff. from from the out outer stairwells. Um, yeah. And and all kinds of interesting angles we don't see very often. Yep. Uh, one of the first things once you get past the monorails, and 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 it is probably three or four minutes of the nine is various angles of monorails. Um, but I did mention earlier the the the, the rear of the resort, the the recreation area, uh, is so different from how it is today. And so you know, the first thing I noticed was all the trees. Uh, so much, so many trees that lined, that separated the actual tower of the hotel from the pool area and the marina area, none of which is there now. I mean, it's all right. a wide open space. Yeah. Um, and then I also mentioned that Starburst dock, which you can see out there for the water sprites. Uh, but the whole marina area, uh, which is very laid back, very genteel, as much of the resort was back then. But the, the neat thing is there's a shot from uh, right along the shoreline. Uh, of one of the boats, or actually from the boat coming in uh, from Fort Wilderness area over towards the Contemporary. Yeah, <clears throat> he's actually on board the boat. That's about and the. I said, uh, it starts around three f- for those playing at home. It starts around three forty-five. So right, and then at the four o five mark, you see a a, a, a slide. Uh, it looks like a regular swimming pool slide, except it dumps out into Bay Lake instead of into the swimming pool. <laughs> And you actually see a guy going yeah. off the slide, off the slide into the water, there he goes. Uh, which is re- which is really neat. Yep. I mean, it, you know, to see now. Um, and then, of course, the the, the, the large beach area right. that, that's that's just off there is really uh, a lot bigger than, than it is today. At, at 4.15, we hit the, the, the one of our holy grails. Well, I guess it's partial. We see the Bobalong boats. Or, I'm sorry, Bob around boats. They're just, just chilling, they're just right chilling there the Bob. Dock. And yeah, we still, please, if you have any film of people actually in the Bob around boats, I'm sorry, Bob along, um, you know, actually moving in them and doing something with them, please do send it in. It's one of for, our. For people at home that don't know what we're talking about, can you give the 15 seconds as to what the Bob along boats Absolutely. I, I, and how I, you may have a little more recollection if they had power or how they work, but they're essentially. Uh, about uh, seven, eight feet across or so. Um, they, they kind of look like a. a a pot in the water, very colorful um, uh, base, and they had a very colorful striped uh, top that looked like an inverted funnel. And you would sit in the middle, and, and through whatever means of propulsion, you would literally bob in a circle around the lake. Um, for what reason or another, I don't know, was it mechanical or, or what happened? They, they were eventually taken out of service, I think, rather quickly, too. Yeah, supposedly they weren't very. I, I think they did have some sort of motor that didn't work very well, uh, and not for very long. So it, it seemed like they had to get uh, towed in all the time. Well, and also, let's just think about this. This is a boat that's supposed to cut through the water, but it's a circle. <laughs> I, now I'm not a rocket <laughs> yeah. science or a physicist here. You know, but let's just think about that. <laughs> Johnny's got to go. Out. It's going to take you 15 minutes of your 15 minutes of time or half hour of time to get out. As soon as you get out, you're going to turn around and come back in. It had to be pretty slow. I don't know. But uh, I, I, I see the kid in the water sprite having a lot more fun than this kid who got the bob around. Yeah, <laughs> those were fun. I see the kids in the water sprite zooming by the guys in the bob around. Yeah. 
<laughs> causing some wake there. Ha ha ha! Just a yeah. circle. We... Now there's it's a... like the kid that got last pick last and kickball got the bob around <laughs> boat. The bob around. <laughs> now when did they quit with the sailboats? Because I see the sailboats lined up there. How long were those? I never rode a sailboat. Like when did those disappear? I remember those into the mid '80s. Really? Yeah. How? Any? Yeah, I was gonna say at least at least the '80s because yeah. I remember they went from the. There's lots of promo pictures, especially yeah. mid '80s, where they have these very colorful kind of sails, yeah. like I, orange. I have, and... I have all of the calendars. The park, believe it or not, they didn't do a park specific calendar until 1981. Uh, everything before that was just characters and such, uh, and they went up through. I have them all the way up through '89 or '90. Uh, and most of them are heavy on the sailboat shots from the Polynesian beach or off of, uh, out in Bay Lake, that, that kind of stuff. They were those loved con- those sailboats. Were they conditioned? They, were, they did like, it. They had great colors. I mean, the sails were so colorful and they added so much to every photograph that they were in. It's well, hard to find it? a single promotional shot like that's taken on the water where there isn't a sailboat in the background. Yeah. I mean, what, uh, here, I, I've got one right here. World magazine. Um, I don't know what year this is. I'd have to try and figure out, but right on the cover, um, you know, right on the cover there is, is the sailboat. I remember that was it yellow and green, even into the nineties. Maybe they were small catamarans or something too. But I mean, is that a normal vacation goer right there with that tilt riding it like that? I mean, it just doesn't seem like that that easy. Like that looks like a professional like regatta. Yeah, I, I believe going. this is what you would call uh, you know a little uh, advertising license here. So, right. Uh-huh. Just to, I mean, like, because what if you got it and it wasn't windy? Yeah, and I mean, stuck out there. Like, did they create problems or it's... they're they're good? You know. Seven eight feet off the water there on the right keel. Once once yeah. again, the water sprite guy goes circles around you when the wind stops. He just <laughs> better be careful. So, O'Doyle rules there. Just so you know, the other interesting part about this film is it, it does go inside, and, and well, we're treated to monorails again. Um, there's a great shot of it of it pulling in. Um, if anybody wants to, I'd love to have somebody recreate this carpet online. How you've got some good artistic skills. You should make some backgrounds for phones and, and, and Oh, look, that would be tight. Look, I, I was looking at yeah, that. Yeah, and there's some great overhead shots too. You can probably get some really good idea of what the design was. Yeah, and I think I think we're looking at the second generation carpet in here because I was looking really? at some of the the renovations. So so from what I can tell when the when the contemporary first opened there was a little bit of disharmony between the Mary Blair mural and some of the rest of the decor. And it looks like somebody came in about mid seventies and tried to homogenize that area. Cause I noticed in this case, like the carpet matched the drapes. Somebody came in and redid that carpet and the colors <laughs> perfectly matched the Mary Blair mural. And I was like, nice what job. What was it originally? Do we know? Do we have, I, I think I've got to look back at some of your early uh, your earlier yeah. things to see, but I don't, I don't, I think the carpet was updated and it looks like they actually went through the rooms okay. at that time and redid gotcha. it too. Um, and added the Mary, the Mary, like those little, uh, Mary Blair, uh, mural styled like pictures in the rooms too. Cause from when we look at the U S steel stuff in the mm-hmm. early seventies, 71, it's like none of that stuff is in there. It's all very right, super right. contemporary. Yeah. It's interesting. We'll have to try and figure that out. Whoever shot this one, I mean, the the coolest angles though, like this this upper angle, like I'm craning my head left and right to to see, like, but it's so cool because it's got this yep. sweet, like, I mean, I I think he's got half of the lobby in one yeah. shot almost, like it's just well, there's there's two things I want to mention too. If if, if you start at the 
started around the six o'clock mark, we mentioned the plexiglass trees. You're, you're going to see those there. there. Some of them are even edge lit with many, many white lights. Um, now, JT, what you just talked about, the, you know, the really odd angle. And this is where Brian and I found this is this part of the film is one of the ones that Brian and I found online. And this comes from what I call the, the Paramount Pictures collection. We don't know what the history of these films were. Um, it was a collection of 24 three-minute, eight-millimeter films. A lot of it was junk. Um, but when I looked at it, they were in the original boxes, and the company that it was sent back to after processing was listed as Paramount Pictures. And every now and then you see the same guy, actually, in one of the other upcoming films we have, um, you see the guy in it. And there was them on Amtrak taking the train, and I, I you know, the guy playing a guitar. I, I don't know what this was. Um, I... I'm putting the picture together in my head that this was some sort of, you know, go out, investigate, take a lot of footage and find out what Disney did so we can do something or other. I could be completely wrong. I don't have a date on any of the films. We could go through more and try to, to figure it out. But everything from about the six o'clock mark, uh, six o'clock, I'm sorry, six minute mark on is, is from this collection of films. It's very recon. It, it, it is, and, and you know what's interesting? How one of the films I just did for for you that we're going to be you know releasing soon, the the the, uh, the home of the future, that was from them too. And they didn't, they did hmm. not leave anything uncovered. They took a lot of long panning shots. They took a lot of things from different angles that most people wouldn't take. So I don't know. Was this a recon mission? I, I I couldn't I, I couldn't tell you, um, but I do find it very interesting. When did the Paramount theme parks come out? Like eighties? Is that when they kicked out? Like early eighties? Like Paramount's Kings Island? Like those kind of places? Or do we know? Good question. I'm I'm not too sure. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> like yeah, Kings Dominion and well, stuff. Didn't pa- I, well, yeah. but I think Paramount, if I'm not mistaken, Paramount owned the uh, theme park in Ohio. Where yeah, the Brady Bunch oh, that's, episode uh, was Cedar, filmed. Cedar, that's oh, that's King's, King's Island. Island. Cedar points up. Cedar points up north. That's yeah. That's no, it's the, King's Island, and that would have been. I mean, that would have predated some hmm. of this. I mean, it would have certainly predated the film because I think the film Todd was dated like well, seventy eight. Well, with housing with the carpet, I guess we don't really know when this was was refer. We could probably try to make a good guess, and I've got other, you know, a lot of their other films that we could we could use to tie in a a good picture. It 78 looks... seems pretty consistent from what I know okay. about the time. So you're period, thinking this so, is around yeah. 78 looks to be right. Yeah. That would so, work. You know, like you said, I mean, you look at the eight minute mark and this guy's got, like you said, uh, JT, you're craning your neck. I mean, how many people really went up to the very top floor? And I think the film ends with it, with this fantastic shot uh, looking across. Yeah. Around the 857 mark, uh, this fantastic shot where he pans across the entire Grand Canyon concourse, you can get a layout of every booth, every seat. Um, I mean, not many people would do that. So, I don't know. Maybe we have a very interesting collection of of films. uh, JT, just to answer your question, Paramount bought all of its theme parks in 1992. Hmm. Prior to that. So maybe they had plans for something. I don't know. Possibly, possibly. It's one that I can't help but look. These lights, it looks so much like a early 80s, late 70s oh, yeah. mall yep. with those. And if you look carefully, there's an orange juice dispenser in the buffet. If you can. Did you see that? I saw that. <laughs> I saw only because you pointed it out. But I saw yep, the big orange it's, juice it's there. machine it's there. Freshly squeezed. Freshly squeezed. Is it a big orange? No. No, it's just a regular juice like you would have seen at a snack bar in the mall. Yep. Oh, 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 okay, okay. Oh. 
but it fascinated Todd uh, for some yeah. reason. <laughs> it just showed it was real life, you know. They right. they they had orange juice back then too, I guess. <laughs> oh hey, I'll I'll throw in I'll throw in one okay. challenge to you. So what piece what piece of Epcot Center Communicore actually ended up starting out its last days in the Contemporary starting Hotel? Starting out as its last days. I you know the only, th- only thing that comes to mind so, is world key information. It's the only thing that comes to mind, but. Um, was it in the arcade? Uh, it was not in the arcade. Okay, then I'm. Uh, my guess would have been something in the arcade. So, so smart one. Oh, that was gonna be my second guess. From, uh, <laughs> oh, I, I was thinking that <laughs> somehow or another, he ended up getting repurposed as a greeter for the uh, for the cafe on the fourth floor. They <laughs> threw a remote control thing, uh, like a remote control wheels under him and gave him the ability to hold a tray. And he would wheel around and give people drinks and <laughs> now, food Now, if and I could stuff. sit at the, at the Outer Rim Lodge and have him bring a drink to me, that would be cool. I, I, I would, I'd pay that for would that be and awesome. then the room. <laughs> it goes I would, with the would, Southwest decor, though. Yeah, That's the... I would settle for like a, 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 a long trough. Where uh, a big track just kind of drug my drink down uh, to to kind of go along with the '70s theme. There, there you go. There you go. So, a floating sushi floating bar. Sushi. That's what it needs. Yes. So. All right. Well, guys, I think we've got a. Unfortunately, it's a very good oh, video, though. Very. It did good. come out well. You can thank Paramount Pictures for it. Um, and your color correction well, I, is magical. You know, I love it's, it. It's funny when you have that many films, and and I, I've been working on another one, uh, a 16 millimeter press film that was released by the Disney Company, and they just used crap film. I'll be straight up and honest. And you know, the best way to do it is to do color adjustment for every single scene. But a lot of times, what I've got to do, I've just got to take a common denominator. I don't have the time to sit there and every scene change, you know, fix the color. And I'm sure there's better software and better processes out there. But you know, I think what we've got here gets the point across and really shows, you know, what was out there. And uh, kudos to Pixel for doing their scanning too. So, yep, for sure. So. All right. Well, with that, guys, I think we've we've got to close it out. Um, uh, let's uh, th- do some thank yous and sponsors, and then uh, we'll talk about what we're going to do next time. Um, so, uh, again, sponsors, uh, the film restoration section was brought to you by Pixel.com. Uh, please visit RetroDisneyWorld.com forward slash ImageWorks for your 10% off coupon. We also want to thank um, uh, Chad for joining us uh, for his uh, WW map. Uh, Chad, you still there? I'm really glad excellent i am glad to have Thanks, you Doc. on yeah Appreciate it's uh, really great and i'm i'm uh looking forward to uh, uh to see if you make the globe for us so that'll be your next <laughs> the next project <laughs> exactly see what i can do get on it chad um we also have some other information we'll post in in this uh release i don't have the, the full set of information yet but uh uh chris buckholes has created an attraction poster and uh that attraction poster features all the different ride vehicles of Walt Disney World from original up until today. Uh, I, I didn't count them all, but he's uh, sent us a couple copies to take a look of and, and look at, and we're going to get you a link to that. So uh, be on the lookout for that. So thanks to Chris for, for sponsoring us as well. And uh, if you or anybody else you know uh, is interested in sponsoring this podcast, you can email us at info at retrodisneyworld.com. Um, you can find us at, at retrowdw on Twitter. And uh, JT, uh, how, uh, Brian, uh, given your uh, your Twitter address is where we can find you. 
Uh, this this week I'm gonna throw out this month at Hoagie's Garage go. if you want to follow my foibles on the automotive world. You can find me Brian at Brian P Miles on Twitter, and you can find me how at Liquid Luau. Chad, are, are you on Twitter? Do you want people to find you? You're not. I oh, am not. Oh, oh Chad. Oh, you're man. so not cool. Fa- Facebook, yeah. anything? You're... Yes, I, I I am on Facebook. Yep. WW Matt. All right, there you go. All good right. Show. So Very good. Um, last time, uh, who, who chose the, the contemporary last time? Was it Brian or was it JT? Who chose? That was, that you. was so me. Brian, you, that. It's, it's your go, right? What do you have? Well, what are you going to choose for our next episode? I, I... <laughs> Behind doing that. Yeah, it's, 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 Holidays we, at Boys Cab. We can do Fort Wilderness. That that can be our next resort over there. Oh, please do it. Yeah, Fort let's go with Fort Wilderness for January. some... Uh, because then we can talk we about, about Royce Cabin. Adam, we got the railroad, yes. and uh, well, all right. So Fort Wilderness, it is. All right. Well, that does it, and I appreciate everybody for listening. Um, again, if you enjoy this, we do appreciate a review on iTunes if possible, and give us a rating. Uh, if you have any questions, uh, you can always email us at podcast at retrodisneyworld.com. Uh, once again, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you next month. Brian, take us out. Do not pull down on the safety bar, please. I will lower it for you. When you and your family visit Walt Disney World in Florida, come stay in this spectacular hotel. It's one of two that United States Steel helped plan and build here. But this is more than a hotel. It's a prototype of a whole new way to build. And we're involved. Everything about it is striking, but most unusual is the way the rooms were made. Instead of being built in place, the rooms for this hotel were assembled in a nearby factory by our American Bridge Division. First came a steel frame, then a floor of poured concrete, wall panels from our USS Holmes Division, next the ceiling with air conditioning built right in, then wall covering, a complete bath, even sliding doors. When the units leave the factory, they're trucked to the site and fitted into this 14-story frame like drawers into a chest. We're confident that schools, hospitals, and other structures will soon be built this revolutionary way. We not only supplied the structural steel, the cement and the foundations came from our Universal Atlas Cement Division. So come, stay at this unique hotel, a remarkable place inside and out. We're finding new ways to build. At United States Steel, we're involved.